Thursday tomorrow. Let's everybody, let's go to the office and let's get some donuts and let's make some calls type of sessions as well. Hello, and a big welcome to Hot Sauce, where we'll cover the hottest topics within sauce together with brilliant guests. Are you also curious about fast-grown companies and the people behind them? Welcome aboard. My name is Max Nyman. I'm the CEO of LimeGo, and this is an interactive podcast where you can give suggestions on upcoming guests and topics. You can also jump into discussions with other listeners by leaving comments or upvoting their suggestions. I'm determined to become one of the greatest within B2B sauce, which is why I invite thought leaders and pick their brains about how to scale their companies. However, there are so many fast-growing companies out there and new ones appearing all the time. I only know a fraction, and that's why I want to give you the opportunity to have an impact on the episodes and its content. Hit the link in the episode to interact and affect. Enough already, let's get to it. All right. Very, very welcome, Timu. How you doing? Thank you. I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Yeah, nice. I'm all good. But uh, okay, tell me a bit about yourself. Uh, Which company are you at and uh, how did you end up there? Um, Well, I'm at two companies, actually. Um, Lidu and then Munti Collective in Finnish, which which would be the sales collective, I guess. Little translation uh, to English. Um, I've been with Lidu for four years. I... I'm on parental leave right now, so I'm not that much there at the moment. Nice. Um, or is it uh, is it calm? It feels like uh, I'm just assuming that when I'm on parental leave, it's it's calm and quiet. But maybe it's the opposite. It's not very calm or quiet, but it's different. Yeah. It's calmer <laughs> for the brain. Um, yeah. Less thinking, less stress about work, but it's different. Different fires to put out. Yes, <laughs> definitely, definitely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've been with Lido for four years. I actually ended up at Lido when a colleague of mine from a former job told me about these crazy guys doing some crazy IT stuff that he didn't understand anything about, but he decided to join the company because he believed in the passion. And then a couple of months later, he called me and said, this is pretty cool. You can earn a lot of money here. Join this company. I was like, okay, yeah, I'll join. I didn't, I didn't understand anything at the, at the point at either about conversions or interactive elements on websites or whatever i had no clue but i decided to take the leap and yeah it was a good decision cool and like g- give me for for the people listening give me the the elevator pitch what does lido do what kind of problems do you solve basically lido is a conversion platform if you go and google for conversion platforms you're probably going to end up finding some stuff for e-commerce but that's not what we focus on um it's more for well it's both for b2b and b2c websites but the point is that when a lot of companies are spending a lot of money on driving traffic to their websites, they're spending money on Google Ads or Facebook or Instagram or whatever, uh, but they don't really think how they're going to actually convert that traffic into qualified leads. That's where rarely do comes in. And we engage those visitors into different sorts of discussions. And through these discussion paths, we convert them into highly qualified leads while kind of analyzing what's going on in the background. So you can do more of that what works. And do, do you like keep track of the, the buyer journey from an early state until they end up purchasing? Yes, basically from, or maybe not end up purchasing when it's B2B, the sales cycles could be very, very long. Um, yeah. But from like first visit to the page, when they actually end up converting to, uh, to a qualified lead, we keep track of all that and how many times they visit the page, what they actually do there, what they're looking for, where they're coming from, and what content they're consuming and so on. 
So I want to give marketers a better kind of understanding of what actually works instead of just seeing, you know, I spent 10 grand on Google, how many people came to the page. You actually need to understand what happened on the page and who converted and why. True. So, so I guess your main persona is the marketing or like CMO persona that you're selling to. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah, the main persona. But obviously, as you know, how people and companies make decisions there. So there are a lot of internal stakeholders. Typically, it involves sales. And it does involve CX, customer support at times as well. And then obviously, depending on the company size, then management wants to get involved quite often as well. Yeah. They, they always do, right? They always do. Well, especially in Sweden, they do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I've heard that the, the, the like sales culture is a bit different in, in Sweden compared to Finland. We're a bit more like uh, sealing the temperature in the room and letting everyone speak. Y- yes. You are yeah. very nice compared to us. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're quite straightforward in Finland. And it's yeah. a good and a bad thing. But if you get... I like it. Uh, yeah. If you get a sales director or a CMO kind of very excited and passionate about what you're selling in Finland, you can quite easily get them to actually make the decision without talking to the entire company, but it doesn't really happen in Sweden, does it? No, 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 no. So, yeah. yeah. Everyone has to come in and, and play along and uh, yes. get along well. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's a classic. But, uh, okay, and to, like, set the scene a bit, uh, could you tell me a bit about... Um, I don't know, the, sell, the sales cycle, your average deal value, like approximately how complex is it to sell your platform? It's not extremely uh, complex. Uh, although during the time I've been with Lidu, we've almost doubled the average deal size. So it's getting more complex, you could say. Nice. But I think we're around the 10K ARR ballpark, uh, average contract value. And then... Sales cycles are two-ish months. There's a bit of variation between different countries, but 60 days is quite, let's say, that's a good number. Yeah. Could be quicker, though. But, yeah, <laughs> yeah could always be quicker, I guess. Quicker and bigger. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in terms of uh, Lido, like, um, uh, what do you think you would have done if you didn't end up in sales at Lido? Has it always been a passion of yours or, or how you only heard a rumor about some cool guys doing some IT thing and then you mm. joined them? <laughs> yeah, I didn't know anything about the SaaS world or like Martech scene or anything else like that. But I, I've i always worked in sales though. And I've studied sales. I've done a BBA in sales and an MBA in sales. So I think something related to sales would have been what I would be doing anyway. And before joining Lido, I, I was in media sales for four years. And before that, multiple different kind of junior roles, SDR roles, and so on. So, yeah, I think something related to sales, but I don't know what it would have been. And uh, in terms of like the the sales organization at Lido, mm. uh, can you tell me a bit about how it's structured? Like uh, markets, uh, headcount. Uh, do you have a split between the roles? Maybe SDRs, AEs. How does it work? How does it work? What does it look like? Yeah. So currently, we we have. Well, let's say three markets we sell to, but we operate in four different countries, but I'll explain why. Um, but basically, we're selling to Finland, Sweden, and the UK. And uh, each country has its own, basically, sales director or country lead, we call it. But the main focus in their role is just managing the sales team. Um, and then we've got an AE team in each country and an SDR team in each country. 
and uh, then for logistic reasons we've actually built the SDR team primarily in Spain because we can actually employ Swedish, Finnish and British people oh, quite easily nice. and have them in the same office and you know same training and same yeah same tooling and everything it's easy easy to manage them from within one office and it's quite cost effective as well depends on where in spain if especially it's... compared to london yeah it's in malaga ah not marbella then yeah <laughs> yeah well yeah that's an hour away so not there yeah that's true um okay but that's interesting and like how, yeah. how many sdrs compared to a what's the ratio uh that depends on country i think at the moment in finland it's like eight ish not sure seven or eight a's and uh currently two sdrs uh sweden three a's and one sdr and then uk it's a closer one i think we've got four a's and three sdrs and an sdr manager at the moment yeah but uk needs a bit more support when it comes to booking meetings it's a lot trickier than in the nordics you can just pick up the phone and everybody will you know answer be nice yeah. yes no it doesn't work like that in the uk unfortunately and, and how long was it because obviously you started in finland right and then went over to sweden and how long ago was it that you uh, went to market uh, into the uk we actually went to the uk and sweden at the same time which was idiotic now looking back but it's what's done is done yeah. um so i when i joined uh four years ago i worked as an AE for about four months and then the guy sent me to the UK to open up the market and at the same time we sent another guy to Sweden to open up that market so yeah we've been in both both markets for about three and a half years now and it's taken a taken a while obviously to figure out the different like different processes and how to sell and how to do marketing and what sorts of tools we need and so on it's a, it's a bit different in each country and looking back i think it would have been smarter to do it one country at a time but we're here now so i don't mind but i mean that that's the thing that i struggle with the most uh, focus because yes. you always want to do everything at the same time but then it's like looking back ah maybe we should have just uh, focused on one thing and it would have been uh, mm. twice as fast mm. most likely typically yeah. it would have been but <laughs> but it is what yeah. it is yeah of course and I mean, uh, since you're a SaaS company, obviously ARR is super important. What other like KPIs or, or sales activities do you measure? Uh, what are the main ones? Obviously, from a company perspective, ARR uh, or well, ARR and then profitability metrics are the main ones that we're we're following. Like LTV, CAC or CAC payback time uh, would be the main ones that we're measuring. And then from a sales perspective, there's a lot more. But obviously, we want to measure the measure the funnel. You know how how many activities goes in, and how many meetings come from those activities, and then how many of those meetings. Then we have a waterfall chart built that how many of the kind of first meetings convert into into demos and into proposals and into contracts and into one and so on. And then obviously, what comes from the other end, and then we obviously measure churn as well, which you can avoid in SaaS switching the perspective a bit i mean looking at the sales activities obviously it's tough being in sales there's always like a new day a new week a new month a new quarter mm-hmm. uh, what do you do when you've been in sales yourself for quite some time what do you do to like keep the sales team or the sales reps motivated what kind of keys do you work with or or like i don't know 
cultural things or celebrations? Tough question, but I think it, there's um, when it comes to the culture, there's two ways of looking into it. Um, I think first one, well, this is the Finnish way of thinking. First one is to have some sort of non-negotiables that you, if you work in sales in in the company, then you just agree that you're actually going to do them in terms of like minimum activity, for example, or having enough meetings in your diary. And if you don't, then you're going to do the activity. And if you don't do that, you shouldn't work in sales. That's harsh, but yeah. most, that's a hard, cases, hard truth. When, when it's outbound sales, it's typically true. Unfortunately, it works like that. If you're not going to put in the work, then you shouldn't work in sales. It's, it's a tough choice of career. Um, but then obviously from, a from a culture perspective as well, um, having quite tight country teams helps keep each other motivated and kind of get a bit of competition going in there, but also give support to those who need. So if somebody's struggling to book meetings or somebody's struggling at the discovery phase or whatever it is, we can then share knowledge easily with, within the teams and so on. Um, and since each country has its own sort of buying culture, I guess is a good word. Um, yeah. it's, it's quite, I think it's, easier to be split into country teams and then the knowledge sharing makes makes a bit more sense and then obviously we have different sorts of competitions as well and so on but what motivates salespeople you know the answer uh, <laughs> money yeah yep uh, so having a good commission structure keeps people those people who are money motivated money driven our commission model will keep them motivated i can tell you it's very the latter is good. Like when, when you're hitting your targets, you're earning okay money, but when you're going above, mm. you're do, good. Do you have like a, a step-by-step ladder, like above X percent and then you get a bump and then it increases step-by-step step or, or like in short, what, what does it look like? Basically, it's built based on the ARR you bring in each month, um, like new ARR. Um, you've recently changed a bit to have a bit of a more long-term thinking as well, but but basically ARR per month. And when, if you don't sell enough, you get 0%. And if you sell more then you get more in each, like there's a couple of steps in there. And when you go above, you get better percentage. And when you go above certain numbers, then you get quite a big percentage and you're smiling. Hmm. <laughs> They're smiling. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but is it, it's, it's monthly, not quarterly. It's monthly at the moment, but there's an element of quarterly measurement as well, which, okay is a bit maybe hard to explain i should show you an excel sheet but yeah it, it makes sense when you've seen it but basically it's measured quarterly not quarterly actually it's measured like three months at a time all the time so uh rolling yeah, yeah rolling three months kind of a mm, kind of a thing okay. that you need to hit a certain number to get the percentage of of the month yeah that's interesting and uh, have you like experienced any really bad commission models in in the past or like have you uh, had any any um, failures before implementing this one because as you say it's super important to keep the reps motivated and to make them mm. <laughs> make them smile mm -hmm. commission model is uh, they're always kind of like you need to balance two factors you need to balance that reps are happy and you need to balance that you're actually profitable that it makes sense to sell more um, I think at times or in the earlier stages we've had a bit two aggressive commission models in terms of like selling more you earn more and then we end up in a situation that we actually don't want our reps to sell more because we're not making any money as a company it doesn't make any sense 
like growth is costing way too much. Um, another thing that the rolling three month thing was quite recently applied. And the reason for that was that obviously we need people to be like selling all the time, not once a year very well. And mm, true. And if it's Keep the monthly, cash flow. Yeah, exactly. So if it's monthly only, then you can make a crazy, crazy salary one month and then not anything for three months. And it's not good for the company in any way. So that was another kind of a bit of a mistake that we've done. Yeah. Um, and I guess that is also good to like let the sales reps focus on the the deal sizes that are big enough, but mm -hmm. not go after like the dragons. And then you put all the eggs in one basket and then you, you lose that deal. Yeah. To basically risk uh, uh, mitigate. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And then I guess one thing that I didn't mention when setting the stage is that we don't really that much go for go towards enterprise clients. Uh, some of them come to us and we obviously sell to them, but we don't focus on them that much. Um, basically, be exactly because of that. And it's been just a quicker way to growth has been the SMB or mid market segment for us. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I guess uh, like the the sales cycle, even though the average uh, deal value is uh, twice as big, the mm -hmm. sales cycle is likely uh, longer than twice as long. Yes. Uh, when you go enterprise, so yeah. uh, it's a, it's a common trap. It is, and then there's a lot that you need to take into account when it comes to like having all the risk assessments done and like data protection stuff needs to be on another level and everything like. A lot of paperwork needs to be filled for each client, and it takes Love it. a while. <laughs> Everybody loves it. Our yeah. CEO, uh, who's typically involved, really, really loves it. Um, so it's just like from a sales perspective, it's obviously it's a lot easier to focus on the mid-market. Cool. But uh, switching the topic a bit, um, looking about sales and uh, like what we're talking about, it's all about bringing in the revenue, right? And uh, mm -hmm. since money never sleeps, uh, how do how do you sleep? No, I mean, how do you get a good work-life balance? Is it uh, a lot uh, thanks to becoming a parent now recently, or do you have like a side passion of yours that keeps your your sales life balanced? That's a good question, and obviously that's a uh it's a very private thing for each individual in terms of like how people can keep their work-life balance working for them there's not like one answer that will work for everybody um i think two ish years ago maybe two and a half years ago when i was the vp of sales like running everything sales related at Lido, i did struggle with it very much um i think it's a like if you if you're looking for a very good work-life balance then vp of sales in a growth startup is not the first choice um yeah it's, it's not a famous combination that works long term no, no unfortunately it's not it should yeah. be more but it's not um yeah and obviously it's not good for your brain and it's not good for your performance in work that you don't have a good work-life balance either but it is an unfortunate fact in many of the roles but um i've always tried to well work out as much as i can like do some sort of exercise almost daily. Um, yeah. Do you have some sort of then, sport or is it just hitting the gym? Well, I um, well I play football at the moment, so that works. Sorry about the kid crying in the background, by the way. That's, no worries. That's no worries. life now. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, 
but yeah, I, pl I play football and then gym and jogging and skiing in the winter and so on. So try to keep it and paddle, obviously, the trend sport right now. Ah, at least in here. classic. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Was it as uh, popular in Finland? Because we had a huge wave in Sweden. Yeah, it, it's still, the wave's still going on for, okay. I think, a year or two in here. Right. Um, but yeah, sport, trying to kind of, you know, just close the laptop, close the phone and exercise, that works. Um, but it's not, it's not easy and it's not easy in any sort of sales role. Um, and I guess it does come down to your kind of life values as well. Like, do you value your job or your earnings or whatever, your career progression more than your personal life or health or relationship or whatever? Um, and that's not an easy question either when you're in a, in a, you know, highly pressured role. It's hard to think about those things. Um, to take a step back. Yes, yeah. but sometimes you need to. Um, mm. But at some point, I, I don't even really know what the trigger was, but I, I found a pretty good balance at some point, which helped me and helped me to kind of unwind, just close the laptop and just, I found peace with ignoring messages after 6 p.m. and so on. I didn't respond to them at all, any, anymore and so on. So it does help, but it's not, it's very hard. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. And like finding that balance because you always want to be, as a leader, you want to be available, right? Yes. And be able to answer questions and then, yeah finding the balance of when it's uh, I mean it's it's rarely also that you give an answer after 6 p.m. and someone runs on it right yeah. so it might as well it, it can't wait to the day after typically it can wait but in your brain you make it like oh this can't wait I need to respond to this immediately I need to record a five-minute explainer video and send it to everybody right now yeah you don't <laughs> with a transcript yeah yeah exactly you just don't but that way, yeah. that that is what your brain tells you, and I guess it was especially hard, obviously, running the show from Finland, working with British colleagues as well, who tend to work until six p.m. British time, which is eight p.m. in Finland. Ah, right. And then you're like cooking dinner, and somebody calls you, and you're like, "Shit, I think I need to pick this up." So. Mm. Yeah, true. I mean, that that time difference actually makes uh, makes it a bit more difficult. Yeah. Uh, of course, finding the balance. Yeah, even though it's only two hours, doesn't sound that bad. But depending on obviously on your situation, but if you have a family, you have a uh, children, for example, then it's it makes it trickier. Yeah, of course. And in in terms of like finding the balance, maybe as you said, it was just a click, and then somehow it it became better and better. But like, what's the best kind of career advice that you've gotten? Maybe it's sales related or work life balance related, related to leadership. Do you have anything to share? Uh, well, there's two, maybe that, like, not that work-life balance. Well, the other one is very private and very work-life balance related, but maybe at the same time, like two, two, three years ago when I was the most stressed, uh, stressed out in the, in the VP role and, and working way too much and I wasn't, how would I, how would I phrase this? I wasn't fun to be around at home. Um, my wife did tell me that if you're going to be such an asshole every evening, I'm never going to have a kid with you. I was like, okay. Wake up call. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But apparently it worked out since you have a kid now. So yes. I, I can't talk for <laughs> myself if I'm as, as bad an asshole anymore, but yeah. <laughs> hopefully not. Um, 
so that that did work out somebody so, uh, sometimes it needs to come from very close you know a bit of a mm. bit of an intervention in that in that way um and then i think it's almost not 10 years ago maybe seven eight years ago when i was working my previous previous role or previous job um we had a we had a sales trainer or training kind of a ongoing thing going on quite long and I, w- I was struggling in in every part of the sales process at that point but one big struggle that I had is I wasn't just booking enough meetings because I wasn't putting in it putting in the activity I was expecting to get more out of place which I didn't mm. and then the sales trainer took me for a beer it was good took me for a beer he sat me down and he was like it's your time to decide now if you want to work in sales or not if you want to be lazy and just complain and not put in the work get the fuck out of sales and if you actually want to win and you want to achieve and you want to keep your role that you're in for another six months stop like start like putting in the work and stop complaining i was like whoa yeah okay it was pretty harsh uh pretty straightforward yeah. pretty finish yeah um yeah <laughs> but it did wake and, me up and you said point. beer not vodka right yes it was yeah yeah over a beer oh, but that's good i mean that's a good uh, good lesson i think uh, sometimes you you postpone that talk for way too long and especially with like junior mm-hmm. sales reps because uh, yeah. you think they will just somehow become better and like make the switch to a, to a growth mm-hmm. mindset basically yeah Yeah, it was a it was a good talk, and yeah, it worked. As yeah, well. clearly. <laughs> um, and and like yeah, in terms of Lido, what do you do to maintain a good culture, either from like an organizational perspective, uh, from from your end, or do you have any, I don't know, celebration traditions? Uh, it can be as lousy as just like honking a horn when you close a deal. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. what what do you what do you do to to make it more fun? I don't think that's lousy though. I think it's a good idea. Ah, it's a classic, yeah. Yeah, or a big kind of gong that you can hit when you close a deal. Yeah, we, we actually don't have that unfortunately. But well, what we do is uh, well, first of all, first of all, from a simple celebrations point of view, because we're in many different time zones and we're in many different countries and so on and quite many people work remotely even within the countries as well um we just have a celebrations channel in slack um which is not only for closing deals it's for everything like preventing churn or getting a good feedback from a client um getting an amazing meeting from a sdr whatever you can celebrate anything that's going well is it automated or is it like you write there to uh, give praise to colleagues uh it's not automated no we've uh we've decided on that i was thinking about making it automated at some point when it comes to closing deals but then we wanted to keep it manual for the sake of you can also then when when you close a deal for example you can thank the sdr you can thank marketing or whoever's been involved you can tag them and let everybody know how it went and what happened before you got the deal and so on so that that's obviously good for kind of building that culture of working together um and reminding that when somebody closes a deal it's not that superhero ae who's done everything themselves typically there's it's never a one-man show right uh not not typically no there's quite quite many people involved um so that's that's one thing and then from a culture perspective we try to do like um like get together 
within like well throughout the entire company at least once a year covid's made it harder yeah. um but maybe have a big kind of kickoff whatever event once a year with the entire company last time we went to barcelona which was nice and then obviously country teams could organize or will organize like kickoffs like i'd say january and august and then other sorts of like not as formal get togethers like hey it's thursday tomorrow let's everybody let's go to the office and let's get some donuts and let's make some calls type of sessions as well get some donuts is that a thing uh <laughs> for our finnish team it's a, apparently yeah. it's a thing not for the others okay all right good but, good traditions yeah yeah but stuff like that it doesn't need to be that big or you, you don't need a ping pong table and a pool table and an arcade machine to have a good culture mm. you just need people working together for a joint goal true yeah sometimes less is more and then you can achieve more together yeah, yeah. um uh, the sales culture and and the we talked a bit about it before the growth mindset and uh, like what do you look for when hiring a sales rep what is the key attributes I guess when when you say sales rep, do you mean an AE or anybody working in sales? Anyone in sales, yeah. Mm. I think obviously the requirements that we're looking for would be a bit different for different roles, but maybe the the things that are needed in every role is grit, like being like having a bit of a thick skin. You you do need that in sales. Um, drive. If you really need to, you know, if you really need to motivate somebody each and every day to get up and put in the work, it's very hard. Like if they're not self-motivated at all, it's very, very hard to get them to actually put in the work, especially when we're talking about outbound sales context, which if we're being honest, it's pretty hard and it sucks most of the time. It sucks, it sucks, it sucks, it sucks, it sucks. And then you close a deal and you're top of the world and then it starts sucking again. So the highs and the lows are pretty pretty high and pretty low um, <laughs> yeah so you obviously need to be kind of driven you need to have that inner motivation to actually put in the work and then i guess like emotional intelligence is a good word to have in there but like obviously we all know that we're people and companies are now automating as many of the sales activities they can and chat GPTs writing everybody's emails apparently at the moment and all of those emails suck um, but people still buy from people at least at the moment yeah and in 2023 yes yes exactly and if you're not like likability is hard to measure but emotional intelligence in terms of like being able to mirror the other person's feelings and listen to them actually listen to them and have a good conversation and so on. Uh, it, it is really needed in sales. Whether you're an SDR or an A or a leader, you need to be able to understand people and speak to them in their kind of frame of mind and understand them and empathize with their pain and so on. Otherwise, nobody's actually going to buy from you. So at least in our world, you, it's, not that, it's not that transactional that somebody just comes to us and says, I want to buy your thing. And then you take a credit card number and that's it. Maybe in that sort of a very transactional role is not as needed, but yeah, maybe those three things would be the top of mind at least right now. Mm -hmm. Um, I completely agree. And do you have some sort of good way 
on how to stress test or evaluate that in the hiring process? Like, do you have some sort of, you talked a bit about the, like the reality talk, grabbing a mm. beer. I don't mm. think that's part of your recruitment process, but you don't know what I mean. Like, how do you like tap into that person's drive? It actually, fun fact, at some point in our Spanish office, it was part of the recruitment process. The last part, <laughs> nice. if people got through the, the other part of the process, then we would invite them for a, kind of a team beer. And yeah. But it was more for evaluating if they're actually a fit for the team. So if they have one beer and then they co- go totally nuts and start screaming at people, then it would be a, you know, quite big yeah, red a flag. A bit of a red flag, yes. yeah. But it's now part of the typical hiring process at the moment. Um, but as a disclaimer, I'd say hiring is probably the hardest part of like managing or running anything. Like hiring is very, very hard to get it to get it right, especially from the beginning when you don't actually know what you're looking for in a in a startup. It's you don't have somebody that you can exactly you know replicate like we need. We have these five people who are performing well. Let's just get more of these. When you don't have that, it's hard, um, or even harder. But um, well, our recruitment process is pretty thorough. Anyway, we have like uh, a quick, informal catch-up call type of a thing. Uh, then we have uh, a kind of a hiring manager interview. Then typically we have a role play as well especially when hiring an AE role, like we, we do a discovery session with a made up company and made up something, but we'll see how they, how they ask questions and how they react and so on and how they prepare. Okay. And is that part of like the, the platform or is it just the conversation between two people? Like, uh, is it some sort of demo going no, on? No, you don't need to be able to demo Lido before joining Lido. That's fine. As long as you can do a kind of a discovery session in terms of like, have a, have a business discussion that makes yeah. any sense. The, um, I guess the point of that is also seeing how you react to stressful situations because do actually doing a role play during an interview session is pretty hard. It's not fun. You don't know what you're talking about. You're kind of selling to people who actually sell the thing for a living. It's it's yeah, and they know how to stress test you. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Um, but we try to keep it easy enough so that they can actually run it and so on. But it's quite easy to see then who's very kind of structured and so on, because the best people, you know, they, it's a, it's a fake discovery call, but they send out a, a prep email before the discovery outlining the agenda. Then when they come in, they, you know, they tell you the agenda for this call for these 30 minutes is this and this, and the outcome for this is this and this, and we're looking for this, and this is what we're going to talk about and so on. And then they run it. And then even after running it, they might even send up a follow-up email. Like, so they, they would run it as they would run a real sales process. And then you can see that the people are actually like, they know what they're doing. Yeah. Putting um, in the work. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that's a, I think that's one good way to kind of test the, uh, well, at least your nerves, uh, and yeah. know how in sales and so on. And also the, also the EQ in terms of like, if you can have a discussion and you can pro with kind of hard, hard enough questions and then listen and then use that information in the in the discussion then also that you know helps mm. and is there some sort of reason why you don't have the demo as part of it is it because ah, you, you'll learn it uh, soon enough or is it because it's not it just prolongs the the hiring cycle or um 
I think it's it's the easier part to teach a person to do a demo of a platform. Like, and it would prolong the hiring. It's, it's, I think it's hard to learn on your own how to demo a platform that you've not really used or seen before really. Um, but if you've worked in sales, you, you can run a discovery session on any sort of product almost. Yeah. So I don't even think that having like doing a demo session would be fair to the candidates. I don't, I think it's too big of an ask and it would prolong the session and, or the rec recruitment cycle and so on. So yeah, mm -hmm. you learn it as you join the company. Uh, that's actually an interesting input because uh, obviously putting a case and like a demo in their hands, it takes a couple of days for them to prep and they have mm -hmm. to like come up to a certain level for it to be even worth like giving the time. Mm. Uh, but as you say, like a discovery call, that that's something that everybody should be able to do. Yeah, I think so. Well, mm. in this context, not in every sort of sales role, but in our context, you should be able to do, do some sort of discovery. Yeah, true. Um, and that's interesting. And uh, in terms of the, the collaboration between sales, marketing, product, customer success, or like to tie the whole thing together, maybe also talk a bit about the roadmap, the product roadmap. Mm. Uh, like, how do you go on about to, yeah, collaborate between the departments and like launch new things and really make sure that you are loud and out and about when you uh, uh, release new features? That's hard to. You're asking very hard questions. I'm not sure you knew. Yeah, that. Uh, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yeah, <laughs> you're doing that on purpose. Um, basically, um, when it comes to collaboration between the teams, what we've done is we've kind of built the country teams to work together. Obviously, depending on the country, the teams are different sizes. So how people actually, how much they work like together between the teams kind of varies. But for example, the UK market is a good example. Um, we have um, the SDR team, we have the AE team, we have a data team for sales who are kind of doing prospecting and collecting data and so on. Um, we have onboarding, we have customer success, we have marketing, and we have the country lead uh, in a kind of a morning or a weekly meeting every Monday morning, going through kind of what's working, what's not working, is anything on fire, what what new is happening, anything, any highlights and so on, to have that knowledge kind of sharing all the time and going on. And then it's very kind of, easy way to get the information across to everybody but obviously you know when it comes to internal communication i've never been in a company where people would be happy with internal communication so repetition is, is a key uh so when you do that in a meeting then you probably need to send an email to everybody and then send a slack message to everybody in a channel and then individually and then talk about it in the next team meeting as well and then maybe half of the team has actually listened to you yeah but it is what it is and that's that's the part of leading a group um, but it, that's the way we kind of make sure that the information flow is there and the kind of feedback loop from all kind of areas works. And let's say, for an example, we, we test a new product or we test a new ICP industry, for example, um, we give SDR some data, so go call these companies and then, uh, the AES do the meetings and then onboarding gets the actual clients and so on. And then we can talk in the meeting when the whole team's there, like, did it actually work? Like this client was actually horrible. Why was it horrible? It's not, not a good fit at all. And then the information goes back to the SDR and the data team kind of immediately, you know? So 
mm. we've tried to the build that kind of information or feedback loop uh, within the teams. When it comes to then launching new products and making sure we're loud enough and so on, um, well, we call it LinkedIn storming, um, but we've built in this kind of thing that when we launch something new, whether it's uh, we've won something or we're launching a new product or whatever, whatever sort of a milestone it is, then typically marketing comes up with some sort of content and pictures and stuff that people can share in LinkedIn, for example. They might even ghostwrite the post to people and then we spam it in every single channel internally. Like we, we talk about it in the team meeting. We're launching this, we're doing this event, we're doing this, we're doing that. Everybody creates a post today, please. We say in the team meeting, then we put it in Slack, we put it in general, we put it in the country channels, we put it in the sales channel, we put it in the marketing channel, every single channel so you can't miss it. Yeah. And then we repeat it again. And then if somebody still doesn't do the post, then we might call them and say, would you like to do this post, please? Yeah. Uh, and so <laughs> on. Um, our LinkedIn storms have actually been quite efficient. There's almost a hundred of us. So if we kind of, you know, group together and decide that we want to bring something forward and we want people to see it, then if we make hundred posts about it, there's quite a few people who will see it. So yeah, it is working. Yeah, the reach is going to be good. Well. Yeah. yeah. But I've heard something similar in the sales process called bee swarming. So basically that all the people from the company go in and visit the person's profile at the same time. Because then that person, that stakeholder will get like, wait, 30 people from Lido visiting me in one day? What's going on? And that's like a way for you to nurture the, the sales cycle forward. I've never heard of that. Does it work? Uh, I've, I've heard stories. Yeah. Okay. Stories. Oh, mm -hmm. yeah. But I haven't okay. tested it uh, myself. So yeah. feel free to do it. Okay. Yeah. I, uh, I'm not sure I'll implement it yet. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, ah, but that's uh, that's really good, and I think, uh, as you say, the 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 power of it, uh, especially if you have like a streamlined message and a lot of people on board, and you you recognize like the brand colors and everything, it's gonna set, uh, it's gonna make a mark somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, and it, obviously, depending on the country we're in as well, like people recognize us quite well in Finland uh, already, and it's obviously easier than people realize that okay, these are the Lido guys. We're fairly okay-ish known in Sweden as well. UK is a huge market, so not that many people know about it yet, but we're getting there. That's good. And uh, I think on that note, it's, it's time to wrap up. And uh, last but not least, uh, any other guests that you would uh, like me to add into my pipeline to try to, to get on the show? Nice. Can you, if you could get somebody from Lavender in your show, I'd be very curious to listen. I actually have a, a couple of those guys in the pipe. I met them at the Sauce, uh, Sauster in London uh, the other nice. week. Yeah. Uh, I love those guys because they hosted a, a secret rave. Uh, and uh, I don't hate raves. So, uh, yeah, I, I like what La Lavender is doing. Yeah, me too. And the stats they have from their own kind of internal like stuff from send, sending cold, e cold emails of their reply rates and so on. They know They know something we don't know. So yeah. get them on the show and, you know, try to get all of their secrets out. Yeah, pick the brain. Yeah. No, but exactly. that's uh, that's actually really good. Um, anyone else? I'm a I'm a big fan of Scott Lee's. I'm not sure if you've heard of heard of. No, man. I don't know. He's a well, he's he's an American. I think he's like six time VP of sales, and now he's running his own 
consultancy or doing doing a lot himself, like training and advising and so on. Yeah, cool. Scott Lees, on. what was his yeah. name? Yeah, Scott Lees. I can put it in the chat Scott for Lees. you. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> I, I like a challenge. Uh, it's going to be the first Americans. Why not? There you go. Um, Timo, thanks a lot uh, for joining the show and, and uh, talking a bit about sales and stuff with me. Super fun having you on board. Thank you. It was nice. Take care. We'll talk soon again. Thanks. You too. Cheers. Cheers. Now you got me hitting the phones. I'm in sales. I love hitting the phone. All right. Shifting the focus to you that's been listening. Just want to remind you that this is an interactive podcast. So hit the link in the episode description. There you can join the discussion with other listeners and comment on episodes. You can also submit ideas for upcoming guests, topics, or simply upvote what other people have already suggested. Also, if you enjoyed this podcast, please share it to someone that might be curious, friends, coworker, or that random person in your LinkedIn feed. Last but not least, liberating if you enjoyed it. While we're at it, add me on LinkedIn to see short video clips from the podcast and enjoy the rest of your day. See ya. These in the OKRs. Last quarter I smashed my quota. Short memory, I forgot what I sold you. Sales pro wisdom like Yoda. I wanna witch my prospects at your phone up. Now you got me hitting the phones. I'm in sales, I love hitting the phones. One call closer while sitting at home. I'm in sales, I love hitting the phones. Gotta hit the phone. Last quarter I smashed my quota. Short memory, I forgot what I sold you. Sales pro wisdom like Yoda. I wanna witch my prospects at your phone up. Now you got me hitting the phones. I'm in sales, I love hitting the phones. Gotta hit the phone. One call closer while sitting at home. I'm in sales, I love hitting the phones. Gotta hit the phone.